Christian life than going to church and reading your Bible. Ever wondered just how involved God is in your daily life? Then you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsis and Vicar Dylan Meyer, as we take an in-depth look at applying the scriptures to our daily lives, the Ten Commandments, baptism, Lord's Prayer, and more. Welcome to the Living Faith. Welcome to Living Faith. We're glad that you're with us on this special episode. My name is Pastor Tom Marsis, Senior Pastor of Zion Lutheran Church. And with us today, we have a very special guest, Nabil Noor. Uh, he is the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Hartford, South Dakota. He is also the fourth vice president of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is our regional vice president here in North Dakota and uh, a good friend to North Dakota. We've known each other for quite a while, and uh, it's very special to have you with us, Nabil, today. Thank you, my beloved brother in Christ, Tom. It is a privilege, an honor, and a blessing to be with you and all of the saints who will be listening to this podcast and hearing the voice of Jesus. Well, as we get started today, one of the things that we're going to be diving into is the ongoing conflict between the Arabs and Israelis, as it is very much in the news. It's always there, but very much in the news. And one of the unique perspectives that we'll be able to hear today is from Nabil, who is a Palestinian by nationality, and as he would also say, a Christian by grace, and he was also uh, born in Israel. And so, uh, Nabil, why don't you talk a little bit about the background? I know we're going to, as we go through the podcast, we're going to talk about your journey uh, to Lutheranism and the ministry and so forth. But uh, let's talk, uh, why don't you share with them uh, your beginnings, so to speak? I will gladly do so. May I have the permission to go to the throne of grace in prayer whenever I do something like this? I like to see God's wisdom as Solomon did. With your permission, please join Absolutely. me. Absolutely. We would love to start that way. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord of nations, in your wisdom you have made us a citizen of your kingdom of grace and of power. In all things, wherever we live, help us, we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in service to you and to our neighbor. O Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to give wisdom, discernment, and humility to our leaders and all who serve in government. Through their work as your servant, bless our land with peace and the world, specifically on the ongoing conflict in my old home country of Israel between the Jewish people and the Palestinians, specifically in the Gaza Strip. Oh Lord, we also pray that you would anoint our ears to hear and tongue to speak your truth in love to bring glory to your holy name and for the benefit of our neighbor. It is in the name of Jesus, our blessed Lord, we boldly pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Nabil, as we begin with that. Uh, it's very much an honor for us to have you with us today. Uh, as I said, we've known each other for some time now, and uh, I think that it's very relevant, I think, for our listeners to hear of your nationality background, but also your Christian background and how that impacts uh, your understanding and background on this whole uh 
concern that's going on in the Middle East. So um, you were born in the city of Nazareth. That is correct. Uh, I thank you again for hosting me and allowing me to share. Um, You know, I grew up as a Catholic, born in Nazareth, of course. The announcements were there made by the angel Gabriel to Mary that the Savior would come. And literally, his name means a Savior who would come to save humanity. And so we are rejoicing in that opportunity to speak of our Savior. And I often, uh, whenever I travel around the country, and I've been privileged to travel in many places, I often ask the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And everybody, of course, oh, yeah, sure, you are. No, that's not the point. The point (laughs) is always one thing and one person only, and that's Jesus Christ. And this is the focus that I want to bring here. I grew up as a Catholic, but I really did not have what you would call an astute theological understanding of what grace is. As a Catholic, I live to serve Christ by doing merits to win his favor. I'm not joking when I say I would kneel at times at the, in front of the statues of Mary or Joseph on the sharpest rocks until my knees bled to atone for my sin. But I didn't know any different. That's what was taught. That's what was expected until I came to this country, what, of course, everybody calls the United States of America, the Ashitan al-Kabir, the big Satan. But it is in this country, uh, through the grace and the love of my wife, who introduced me to Lutheranism, which was, I've never heard of Lutheranism, was unaware that even existed what I had heard Protestants, not heard the term Luther. What is Lutheranism? And then I began um, to study, read scripture, never held the Bible in the old country. I studied scripture here. I became a student. I fell in love and I couldn't have enough of the scripture. I would eat it whenever I could daily, chew, meditate uh, on the word of God. And then uh, through the encouragement of some friends, they asked me to become a minister. And I said, absolutely not. I'm way too bad for God to use me. Remember, my background is I was raised because you have to attain a certain degree of holiness or righteousness to please God until you read uh, you know, we celebrate, we're going to be celebrating the Reformation in a couple of days where Luther said, we live by grace alone. And it is that grace that changed my life completely and changed me from the inside out. And I, much like Luther, said, what a relief. I have ruined my knees by kneeling on all of these sharp rocks. I don't know how many times because I was a terrible kid, mm. uh, did a lot of bad things sin deeply against God. And yet, when the grace was um, shared with me, I literally rejoiced. I wept. I could not have enough. And this is one of the great things about Lutheran theology. In its beautiful, firm um, declaration of the truth, And so, you know, I was born in Nazareth. I grew up in a Palestinian home, lived on the slopes of Mount Carmel. I heard all of the stories about Christians. I heard about um, Christ Jesus, what he has done, you know, and 
we would know those things, but I really did not know, if you know what I mean. I know about Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. I know about the miracles, but I really didn't understand the bigger picture of that until I became a student of the Scripture. And then I began to study and, of course, studied theology, graduate from the seminary, and I've been privileged to serve. Well, one of the things that's very interesting that you were talking about is that diving into the Bible. It's really one of those things that I think we, as pastors, you and I would always be encouraging our members to dive into the scriptures. And yet, um, I think here in the United States, it's so easy for us to take that for granted, how, how wonderful it is that we are able to freely open the scriptures and and see that mercy that you're talking about here. Uh, you're talking about this. So just to give you a little background, like, so I grew up uh, in Israel. And so two things I would like to share. Number one, when I came here, you know, I, again, I didn't expect to stay here. I was going to come to study, but God had other plans and that's wonderful. But after I was introduced to grace, I would go back home and I would be sitting in my family room and I would be reading the Bible in my mother tongue. And then my dad said uh, one day when he came in from work, he says, Nabil, what happened to you? You left like a devil. You came back like an angel. Hmm. And then I said, Dad, let me tell you about Jesus, what he has done. I've never stopped talking about Christianity. But you talked about the freedom we have in this country and how sad that we don't really cherish the freedom we have, that you can carry a Bible anywhere you don't have to be afraid that you're going to be shot. So when I take tours, which I take quite few tours overseas, and I have been for quite some times, when we go to the Dome of the Rock, literally, I have to tell the people, don't bring any Bibles with you to this place, because this is not permitted. If you have a cross, put it on the inside so it's not visible, because it is a challenge for us because you can really be attacked for bringing the scripture, which they call corrupt. And so uh, we should not take that freedom. And I also, also encourage the people when they study the scripture to really meditate about it. Okay, The, mm -hmm. the Hebrew word where David talks about, I would like to meditate day and night, literally is like marinating a piece of meat. And you are, when you start cooking it, you cook it slow. And then when you eat it, you chew it slowly. You enjoy every bite of it. You move it on your palate everywhere so that you can get the best flavor out of it. And that's what the scripture does for me. And so prior to my coming to this country, I didn't know any of this. Coming here, then it did, and it changed my life. And so... Um, when I uh, wrote this Bible study on the conflict in the Middle East, why did I do it? Well, there were so many people who were contacting me via text, via phone, via email, praying for me and the family. And um, I thought, I need to do something to equip and to help people grasp the total picture. And I often talk about what I call in my Bible study is the big uh, three C's. Context is king, culture is queen, 
and Christ is the center. And that's the focus you and I in this interview are going to be doing. Yes, there's a conflict over there. But again, we must remember what Scripture says. God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Though the earth will quake, though the mountains fall, He is our foundation. He is the strength. He is our hope. He is our help. And without Him, we have nothing. And this is why we speak the truth in love. As you said in your introduction, the media speaks half-truth or twisted truth. Therefore, we should not really be listening to the media. You should as being informed, but don't swallow up everything they say. Study the scripture because it reveals the truth. And this is really what's so important. Well, and I think that it's very important to to let the people know this is why uh, your Bible study and having the opportunity to talk to you today, I, I think context is a very is a very important place to start, and um, the context of what is uh, the Middle East, uh, what what is the relationship between the various uh, nationalities, is it's like a fa- it's a family squabble. It's just that centuries old family squabble, and I think that people forget that it's a family squabble, and we all know how family squabbles go. Uh, and 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 I think that understanding the context that goes all the way back to the Old Testament to Abraham, and that this is uh, something that we've been uh, seeing down through down through the scriptures, starting with Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. I, I think that people don't realize that. You know, we need to go all the way back to the beginning to understand the full context. And I know that you, having lived it, um, understand that importance of going back to that context of Abraham. And and so, uh, why don't you? Sh- I know that you share you shared often that whole context of how Abraham and Hagar and Sarah and it all started there in many ways. Well, the conflict in the Middle East goes back almost 4,500 to 5,000 years, all the way back to Father Abraham. As you know very well, as a student of the scripture, God promised uh, Father Abraham that he's going to be the father of many nations, okay? And again, a lot of this stuff that is going to be um, in the Bible study, but I'll highlight it. So God promised, but during that waiting period of 25 years, Both Abraham and Sarah tried to meddle with God's plans. They could not wait long enough. And when you do that, you mess up badly. So Sarah permits her husband to sleep with a maid, and she gets pregnant. And now there's animosity between Hagar and Sarah. Ultimately, they divide. And what is ironic, God blesses both Ishmael and Isaac, both of them, begin with the same letter. Both of them have 12 sons. Ishmael is where the Arabs or the Muslims follow through. And the Jewish people, of course, follow the promise. And if you look at the promise that God gave to Abraham, all of this was so that a remnant will be saved to bring about the Savior. All the line, God preserved the Jewish people for the purpose of bringing this Savior. And so when Jesus came to the earth, he taught, love your neighbor, forgive your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you, do all of these things. And what is happening between 
You talked about family squabble. You've seen this as a pastor, so have I. You have a, a father who is well-to-do. He passes away. The will is not done, and the squabble begins. Who's going to get this property? And that's what the fighting is right now between the two people. Uh, the word Hamas, of course, is in the scripture. Literally, it means violence, wickedness, evil, unrighteousness, all of those things. But that's been going on for years. It isn't something new. What has changed is we have the capacity via the media, television, internet, phones, to see the atrocity that's being done. Um, And the word Hamas in itself should not be, I mean, even though the Arab Palestinians in Gaza use that term, it's not it is not the same word. They use it as an acronym for their Islamic uh, group of people, but it has the same foundation terminology, which is violence. And the, the one goal for the Islam, because it's taught in the Quran, is they want to eradicate Israel. Both nationalities are the only ones left from the whole of scripture. If you go through the scripture, all of the names or all the people that lived in the time of the Bible, none of them exist except the two sons of Abraham. And they have been at odds ever since, and they will be at odds until they bow the knee before the Savior, the Prince of Peace. And so in that, in that understanding, you see how the dichotomy and the division and the distrust keeps going on. They are misguided because they're fighting over a land. They're misguided and mistaken because they are thinking God has promised it to Ishmael rather than to Isaac. And, uh, and so you have this hatred ongoing. And uh, the Palestinians, the Arabs in particular, don't want to make peace with Israel. In 1948, when Israel became a state and the nations voted and America was the one that kind of took them over the threshold, in 1948, the Arab countries fought against the Israelis at that time. It wasn't a country yet, but Israel won and became a state independent on May the 14th of 1948. But the atrocities that the Jewish people did to the Arab people was just as severe. Not many people know that. The the evangelical churches think Israel became a state to fulfill what was spoken in the First Testament. But that's not true. The new Israel is us, those who follow the Savior. Because if you look at Hosea chapter 11, Through the prophet Hosea, we say that um, God called Israel out of Egypt, and it's reduced to one. So Israel is now the followers of Jesus. But in 1948, a lot of atrocities happened by the Israelis. I personally, along with my family, lost property. Okay, I grew up hating the Jewish people because I experienced much of what's going on today. So I'll share to our audience, and some of this is covered also in my Bible study, 
you know, uh, one of the greatest humiliation that I experienced in my life. So when I would go back to Israel as a young man, I wasn't married at the time. Just envision this. You are coming in with about 500 people on the plane. Uh, Israeli soldiers with machine guns come up to the plane and they will call all the Arab names, myself included. And then we would be taken privately before all of the other people come off, taken to a specific location at the airport, and then they ask you to strip, strip search so that they can strip you and humiliate you. I've experienced that more than once. Then I take my wife with me, and they take her, of course, another lady, and they do the same. So here's, here's a bride that's going with me, but because she's connected to me as a Palestinian Christian, she endures the hatred and the humiliation. So there's a lot of these things, or like when I would go out of the country, you know, uh, I'm all for heightened security, I'm all for doing the right things, but it can be done rightly without humiliating you or making your life miserable. And so it's it's on both sides, the animosity is so high. And why is that? They don't know what forgiveness is. They don't know what grace is. They don't know how to let go of the past and look to the future. You and I, by the grace of God, have learned the value, forgive your enemies, right? And they, and they haven't seen that. And well, like you said, from the very beginning, uh, they, they've missed the message of peace that Jesus brought and the grace and forgiveness. And instead, they justify, they justify their hatred for each other by this one did this to me, so I'm going to do back to them. And it, it's like this cycle that never ends. It just keeps going on. Uh, there's no denying the atrocities that both sides have made. And instead of moving on and forgiveness, it just keeps, it's a cycle of one does it, then the other one reacts, then it goes back and forth. And and one of the things I'd like to reference, I don't want to forget to reference it, as you were referencing your Bible study when you were talking about Hamas a little bit ago here, in your Bible study, one of the things that I think is very helpful for people to put into context, number one, all the times that Hamas, the word, the Hebrew word is used in the scriptures, you list all the these Bible references. But then in the next paragraph, you also explain while they use the word Hamas, where, where they're coming from, you put in the acronym you first write in Arabic, but of course they don't understand. Then you write it in the uh, acronym there so that they see how they're using the word. Like you said, that that's not really necessarily what they mean, but it comes out. I, I really like how you explain the term and how it's used by the, the organization that's in the Gaza Strip. And I think that would be very helpful for people when they look at your Bible study to put that into context, like you were saying, where the word comes from and how it's used. It is very true, um, you know, Harakat al-Muqawam al-Islamiya, which literally um, in Islamic resistance, that's what they are resisting, the oppression from the Jewish people. And, um, you know, without the love of Jesus, there is no way this problem is going to come to an end. There is no way, because an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Rather than, you know, you and I may have odds. I say, okay, brother, forgive me. And the first thing out of your lips, certainly I will, because you have tasted that forgiveness. They don't know what that is. And of course, I have to be fair to both of them. 
the Arab people have been truly, truly oppressed, but so have the Jewish people been oppressed. Just think, Israel is a very small country surrounded by 23 Arab countries that they don't want around. They want to, you know, destroy it. Just because they are, the Muslim says you got to kill the Jewish first and then the Israelis. You can read that in the Quran. That's another topic. And Israel has been fighting to exist. They offered the Palestinian the ability to exist. They, meaning the um, English, when they were in Israel, before Israel became a state in 1948, says, okay, we will divide the country between the two. Israel was happy, content. The Palestinians were not, or the Arabs were not, because Egypt, Syria, Jordan attacked Israel. And of course, things didn't go very well. Israel got more property. And every war has been won by the Israelis compared to the Arab countries. Even in 2005, when Israel was very generous, said to the Gaza people, we are going to give you the whole Gaza under your protection. You do what you want, we'll leave you there, okay? They were not content. Now, in defense of the people who live in Palestine, Gaza Strip, they were under oppression because the Israeli government controls the water, controls the electricity, it controls every movement in and out of the country. So they are under watchful eye all the time. At the same token, I have to be fair to the Jewish people, the Palestinians people have always said, we are going to kill you. If I can use this analogy, Tom, you and I are neighbors, and I live across from you, and I say to you every single day, I'm going to kill you. 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 Whatever the opportunity, I'm going to kill you. So the first thing you do is to take, I'm going to protect myself, my family, and my property. Okay? And if that escalates, then the human response is, bam, I'm going to get even, which, of course, happened again just recently on October the 7th. What the Palestinians did, the people from Gaza, terrible atrocities. The way they came in, they literally obliterated and erased, you know, almost 1,400 people, 222 people kidnapped. And the way they did all of those things, they were uh, just evil, okay? And Israel, of course, is now attacking, and it's evil. On both sides, the evil is very prevalent, and we see it. And it is in full force for the whole world to see. And, of course, now people want to, um, you know, we see in this country people are uh, marching in protection of uh, Hamas. But that's a violent terrorist group who wants nothing to sit down or even visit or to talk. One of the things that I shared in my Bible study, and I love to share this because I can talk to my Jewish people. I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. I had <clears throat> 10,000 uh, Jewish people in the community. We lived in 1967. We were the only Arab family at that time. And during that visit, you know, um, some, the television came and asked my dad, why did you choose to live here? And his simple request, well, aren't we both sons of Abraham? 
And that's really is something profound. I didn't think of my dad knowing theology, but he taught me, even though he didn't have a Bible at home, he understood the basic principles of it. What I appreciate about the Jewish people is that you can truly live with them in peace. Because I grew up in Israel. I had many of my friends were Jewish. And um, you have civility. You have normalcy. Yes, they were checking us out. I understand that. And I don't blame them. They trying to protect their family and heritage and line. The way they went about it is wrong. But when you have Hamas, for example, or Al-Fatah, Yasser Arafat, or Hezbollah, for example, they don't want to talk. They want to eradicate and obliterate the um, Israelis. And it's, it saddens me beyond measure, Tom. It saddens me beyond measure. I want to shake them up and say, just look at what we are doing. The Middle East could be the Paris of the world if we could live in peace. But again, without the grace of Jesus, without the Prince of Peace, they are going to continue fighting. Could you put into context, too, one of the things I think as we're talking about this, um, they're, they are right on top of each other. I mean, the, the country of Israel and the West Bank and the Gaza Strip uh, are, are such small pieces of land that that I think that sometimes here in the United States— especially, let's face it, you live in South Dakota, I live in North Dakota, wide open spaces. I mean, how far do we have to travel between uh, uh, between cities? And yet, uh, how many people, it's amazing to me when they started talking about Gaza recently. I mean, I knew where Gaza Strip was and I knew about when they got and all that, but I had no idea how many people were jammed into this small, small area. And I think that as Americans, we we can't comprehend. It's not just that they're they're struggling with the things that you're describing here, but they're right on top of each other. Yeah, in the Gaza Strip, in particularly, you got twenty five miles long by seven to eight miles, and you got two and a half million people. That's incredible. Okay, we don't have that many people in South Dakota. Oh, we we only okay. have about eight hundred thousand total okay, in the entire so state the up here. Us, between the two of us, we don't even have. Two million no, between no. the two of us. No, okay? not even close. So there's more people in the Gaza Strip. So in in South Dakota, I think it's like the ratio is very very small, so many per square mile. But in Israel, it's almost thirteen hundred people per square mile. Okay. Secondly, you have the median age of about 23 years old, that the testosterone is running wild like a bull in an arena. And so they are, and then a lot of them are unemployed, and so they take their frustration out in the activities they do. And it doesn't help when Iran and when Saddam Hussein was alive, Iraq, they would say, if you are willing to commit suicide, we will give your mom and dad $25,000, okay? I mean, that's increasing the violence, and then they have the promise, if you commit murder, 
or atrocities in the name of Allah, you're going to go straight to heaven. You're going to have 72 virgins that are going to be doing whatever you want to do with. And of course, at that age of a young kid who doesn't think clearly, this is a great sounding thing, but it is a fallacy that is damning and destroying people's lives. The number of people in that place makes it very, very difficult. So I travel back quite a bit, almost sometimes twice a year, sometimes three times a year, I go back. And so I can't wait to come back to the open freedom I have. My closest neighbor is 40 to 50 feet. Back home, my next door neighbor is no less than eight feet away from me, okay? And then you are living on top of each other. So that in itself is a very, very big challenge. You know, as you look at the whole parameter, you really need to, again, going back to the history, which is the context we want to bring in, this family squabble, family feud has been going on, not just recently. It's been just elevated more and revealed more because of the mediums that we are able to use right now. And there is good and there is bad. Both the Palestinians, the Arabs, and the Jewish people have done atrocities. But there is no end in sight. So let's assume for a moment ceasefire is going to take place, which is wonderful. It's been going on and off over the history of 70 plus years with, since Israel's birth, right? But right. it has never ended because it starts up again. So you have a time. Why does it start up again? Because there's really not peace. It's a conditional peace. And this is why we want to introduce people to the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Only when you bow the knee before him, only when you serve him, then you can put on your glasses, the gospel glasses, and look at that other person as a child of the King of Kings for whom Christ died and rose again. One of the things that um, I, I've uh, listened to you talk about this, obviously, before, and, and there's so much to go here. I think that this would be a good spot if you would, because you're talking about the transformational nature of the scriptures. Um, would you, would you uh, share with them uh, the story that I've heard you tell before about when you met with your uncle, who you didn't know very well, and uh, how that was first and how it tr the, there was a transformation related to that. But um, I thought that that was a very enlightening story uh, where your uncle was coming from with his son and that whole story. So, Yeah. Um, in 1948, my grandfather, who was wealthy and blessed, um, lived in Jaffa of Nazareth. That's kind of where I was from. And during the war, he heard that somebody was coming to take Nayef, and that was his name. So he and my grandma and my uncles, apart from my mother, she's the only one that was married, they all went to Lebanon thinking, hey, we'll be back tomorrow, but they never came back. So my uncle Yusuf and all my other uncles and aunts lived in um, the Palestinian area of Lebanon in a, a, a camp, a refugee camp. And so I never met my uncle, never talked to him, never even said the word in Arabic, Khali, which indicates that he is my mom's brother. 
until 1974 he came to this country. I was living in South Dakota in Huron at that time, just finishing high school, going to go to college, and I go to visit my uncle for the first time. So I was 18 years old, just maybe 19 at that time. So we, I go and visit with my uncle for quite some times. I was there for a week maybe. And then during the visit, I would talk about the relationship I had with the Jewish people. And my, ang- my uncle would literally get angry at me because I spoke so well. I says, hey, they are my friends. They come to my home. I go to theirs. And he just hated them. And he asked his son, hey, Elias, what do you think of Jewish people? Grabbed a gun and said, hey, a good Jew is a dead Jew. Okay. And I was shocked. Hatred is, hatred is taught. Okay. Right. Hatred is taught. And so I was just kind of amazed because I had, I mean, my friends, I grew up in that neighborhood. So I had friends all over and I spoke with them daily and they would come to me and we go to there. And then, so fast forward in time, I go back and my uncle now is a follower of Jesus. The hatred is no longer there. Does he have a hard feelings? Of course, he was in jail because he came to see his, uh, my mom, his sister. He had all of these emotions, but he understood what the crimson blood has done for him and no longer wanted to destroy those people who have taken the land and robbed him of his livelihood. Atrocities are numerous all over. Hatred is the poison that we think we are putting on the other person, but it's literally killing us from the inside. That's what hatred does. And of course, what does the devil do? The devil says, oh, you got to hate Tom. He's done this for you. He's done this. And he keeps reminding you, whereas Jesus said, come to me, or you who are labor, laboring, and I will give you rest. And in that context, we see the love of Jesus For even the Jewish people, the Jewish leader of his time, you talk about atrocities of today, think of the atrocities of Jewish leaders taking this innocent man who had done nothing and they nailed him to a wooden tree until he died. You talk about me being humiliated? What about Jesus when they stripped him naked and hung him over there? What about putting the crown of thorns? Sure, they used the Romans indeed. But who was the culprit behind the murder of the Savior? And if he can cry out from the cross, Father, forgive them. Who am I to withhold that kind of forgiveness? Who am I not to be kind enough to say to my enemy, I love you, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has made you to be. And this is the transformation that takes place in our hearts when the Holy Spirit works on us from the inside out. Because I don't have that. I have experienced hatred. I've experienced people spitting on my face. I've heard them say filthy Arab. I heard them say dirty Christian. I've heard all of that. And yet, I don't have that animosity because I look at them through the lens of the gospel. 
And it is that gospel that transforms lives. It's a beautiful story. I think, uh, you know, obviously the transformation, as you spoke about your life, you came here in 72 and the transformation went through, through your wife, uh, understanding grace. But I think it's also very telling to know that um, how it impacted your uncle and, and the, you know, you talked about the loss of family land and, and so forth. And yet understanding that we can still have this disappointment when how people were treated and whatever, but yet it's it's covered over by the grace that God has given us. I think that's just a beautiful opportunity to understand, you know, grace is there. Grace is possible, even in the midst of the great uh, strife and humiliation that's going on over in the country today. Well, you know, one of the things, I, I love scripture. I'm a student of the scripture and I memorize scripture. In Matthew 5, the Lord says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Um, my youngest sister, Jasmine, had received cancer in three major organs. And I happened to be in the country and I actually uh, stayed a little bit longer. And I would lay right next to her in the bed, and I would pray with her for the duration I was home. And the one comment she made on my life that really touched me, and this is why I'm so excited and so passionate about the love of Jesus. She would say to me, Nabil, when you came into my room, I always saw Jesus walking. She said, what you share with me just is really giving me comfort. She knew she was dying. Mm -hmm. Okay. And by the grace of God, she understood what Jesus has done for her. And so whenever I came in, she would say, read to me the scripture or pray with me. And I gladly did all of those things. Why? Because those words brought comfort. She is dying. And if people, both the Arabs and the Jews, would understand they are dying. And here's my biggest, here's my biggest disappointment. Not only the atrocities is bad, not only the casualties, the maiming and the murder and the mayhem and the raping and the killing and the robbing. All of that is in itself is bad. But here is the worst of it. They are dying without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is really, this is really a heart-wrenching thing for me. And this is why we ought to speak in love the truth so that they would know the true freedom, as Jesus said in John chapter 8. If you truly are my disciples, you will know that truth and the truth will set you free. I am free. I'm not bound by hatred. I'm not bound by envy or jealousy. Do I get envy? Of course I do. But it does not control my life. Christ does. Christ controls me. Christ motivates me. Christ excites me so that I can look at another person. I says, you've done a lot of bad things for me, but I'm going to love you. And I'm going to let the love of Christ permeate in my life to you until you understand what is the gift of grace. Well, throughout this year, we've been talking about living the faith. I mean, this is what this podcast has been throughout the year. And what what a better message, uh, Nabil, than what you're talking about here is that when we're, we live the faith, when 
we are covered in his grace. I mean, that, that, that makes the difference in how we talk and how we act. Um, you know, are we going to stumble and fall? You were talking about that. Absolutely. We, we live in a sinful world and we're going to do that. But nevertheless, even though we stumble and fall in trying to live the faith, he, his grace still lifts us up and forgives us. And, and uh, I think that that's the message really uh, I know that in your Bible study and the other uh, talks that you've been giving, uh, we live in a sin-sick world, but that doesn't mean as Christians we need to accept the sin-sick world. We need to know that Christ has come to overcome that sin-sick world that we live in. Uh, very right on target, Brother Tom. Uh, let me share this story that really you know, really emphasizes what you and I have been blessed and privileged and honored to be. I mean, just think, God calls you and me to be his mouthpiece. And we get paid for this. Just think (laughs) of that, okay? I know, it's amazing. I mean, we get the greatest privilege, and yet, so uh, after the 9-11, I was asked to do a workshop on who are the Muslims. And, And specifically, I focused on how to witness to them. That was my mission in writing my uh, study on Islam. And I remember in particularly in 2002, in June, I had a man from the village of uh, Nain, uh, not Nain, excuse me, um, well, Babylon today, but where Nineveh, the Nineveh. village of Nineveh, sorry, sorry, the village of Nineveh, or city of Nineveh. And he was in my audience as I was talking about. He says, I grew as a Muslim and I didn't know any of the stuff you're talking about. And I said to him, I said, have you even looked at a Bible? Have you even read the scripture? Oh, no, it's it's polluted. It is turned around. It's twisted. Of course, the... um, the Muslims teaching, of course, that the Arab is, uh, the Bible is corrupted, so is the New Testament is corrupted, so is the Septuagint is corrupted, but they believe somewhat that Jesus is a prophet. So I was telling him, uh, have you ever read the scripture? He says, no, 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 it's corrupt. I says, I'm going to challenge you, read the Gospel of St. John, just for 30 days, read the chapter, of the Gospel of John. I said, it's deep enough that an elephant will drown in it, but small enough that a baby can bathe in it. So I gave it to him. I didn't hear anything at all from him. Six months later, Christmas Eve, I am just about ready to step into the pulpit to preach. The phone ring in the sacristy right next to me. I go to pick it up, and this young man says, Nabil, I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. What a transformation. I didn't do anything. I just pointed him to the truth of Holy Scripture. The Muslims, the Arab world, believe it is corrupted, but it's not. It's the truth that sets you free from every bondage, from every hatred, even from your enemies. And we, as the followers of the Savior, can do no less than to speak the truth in love, so that those who hate us may see Christ in us, like Luther would say, and then we would re- we would reveal the truth in a way not as an offense to them, but that they might see truly that we mean what we are saying. We love them, and we want the best for them. And if we can communicate that, that would change the whole world. Heaven will never be on this side of earth, never. 
Not but at all. We can make it. We can make it better because we, the Christians, reveal God's love to the world. As He said, "I have a new commandment: love one another as I have loved you." And that's what you and I are privileged, even through this medium of this interview. Absolutely. Our goal is for what? We want them to know the love of Jesus. Are there conflict there? Absolutely. But we want to talk about the concise, comforting, comprehensive truth of the word that changes lives, because that word is efficacious, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. Well, it, it, you know, we started the podcast and we were talking about, you know, importance and context and understanding. And yet we also talked about the power of the word to change. And the story that you just told is evidence of that. I mean, the preacher has a responsibility of sharing the good news, but it's not the preacher that uh, does the uh, salvation or it's not the preacher that brings somebody to faith. I mean, merely the agent of the word. It's ultimately the word, and as we would say, as good Lutherans, word and sacrament, um, that that is the changing agent. Uh, we're just privileged to be the agent to to deliver it, and uh, to know that. Uh, I think that for our, our people to hear, for someone who is not familiar with the scriptures, that how impactful um, the Gospel of John can be to somebody that has never known it before, or one of the other Gospels. In this case, it was the Gospel of John, but, you know, Romans or Galatians or those kind of things, how very impactful the Word is. I think that we take for granted, I, I said this earlier about the freedom that we have, but I think we take for granted uh, this power of the Word that we have so freely to be able to use, and, and yet when it's uh, there for individuals that have not seen it before, life-changing, faith-changing. Uh, one of the things I love to mention, because I'm a, a Hebrew, I'm fluent in Hebrew, so I understand the Scripture extremely well when I read it in the Hebrew text. You know, the word lev is the epicenter of humanity. Everything flows out of the heart, and that's why wickedness just comes out of hearts. Ever since Adam and Eve blew it, we've been living in that fallen, broken world, bleeding world, all of that. But what the scripture does, it helps us comprehend the truth. One of our great hymn in the Lutheran service book, or TLH for that matter, it says, Open now, Lord, my heart to hear. I like to emphasize it's not my ear that I want to hear. It's in my heart. The work need to be, the law need to scalp this dead heart of mine and it's only through that word I'll have a heart surgery that transforms my life. As Ezekiel said, the Lord will take that stone heart and give you a heart of flesh. That's the miracle of miracles. Who am I? Who are you? We are nothing but agents, ambassadors, witnesses, good feet people taking the news and scattering it out for all. And let the spirits moisten it, send the sun, so it grows and blossoms and changes lives. The conflict in the Middle East is ongoing and is going to continue. The hatred is enormous. The complicated situation is beyond imagination. What's the answer? We pray for them that they may know the truth that sets them free. We pray that they would meet Jesus not refuse him, not deny him, 
not say he is just all sort of things, but truly the only one can remove the scales from our eyes, the wax out of our ears, and the filth out of our hearts. And he takes residence in our hearts and it transforms our life to be just like him. Well, it's a beautiful message, Nabil. I, I really appreciate that that we've had this opportunity to share that. And uh, as a precursor, so to speak, uh, uh, with the Bible studies so that we can, uh, like I said, in the the notes for the uh, our podcast, we'll have a, a link that you can download it. Um, I'm sure that as Nabil will be making additions to it along the way, uh, we'll change the link to the new new edition. Uh, he uh, recently sent it out to our region, and then it was shared with the pastors in North Dakota. And uh, when I talked to him about doing the podcast, he sent me an updated version. So I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that there's going to be a few more updates along the way. As he's smiling at me as we're talking about that, I know that I know him well enough to know. Yeah, he's going to find a few more updates. So we'll make sure that those are ava- available and. Uh, he was recently in North Dakota doing a mission festival uh, at Grace in Fargo, and uh, he's obviously been in uh, our state before. He's our regional vice president, and uh, so we'll, I'm sure that we'll be seeing him along the way here, as long as the snow doesn't fly too hard, uh, that we'll be seeing him along the way. And uh, if you have any questions uh, of Nabil, uh, you know, you can uh, contact us here uh, through the podcast. We'll make sure that he, they get to him. We'll also have his uh, email contact so that you can get that available. It's, uh, I think it's, it's very important for us going all the way back to one of the things, Nabil, you said right at the beginning there when you were talking about the three C's to understand as we deal with this ongoing conflict that you were talking about context, culture, and Christ. I mean, that we have those three C's. And as we uh, close today, I really wanted to focus in on those three. We talked a lot about context. We talked some about culture, but really everything that we talked about ultimately centered on Christ. And it's really those three C's as we try to to understand um, and give a witness in the midst of the struggle and strife that's going on, uh, that we focus in on Christ at the center, but we need to have the context and the culture to be able to understand that. That's wonderful. Let me close with this, if I may, brother. Absolutely. Relationships do not thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the innocent one is merciful. And of course, Jesus Christ is the innocent one. He is the one who had mercy on us sinners. That's how relationships begin to grow. I mean, again, how do we end this horrendous mayhem, murder, massacres, whatever word you want to use, how do we end it? We point them to Christ and his love, his compassion, his grace that he gives to us. And so our hope is not in a piece of property. Our hope is not in my bank account. My hope is not because I have a nice home, a nice car. That's not my hope. All of these things are going to be gone. My hope only sits on the eternal rock, Christ Jesus. That's why the difference you and I are so privileged and honored. And so my final words for this is this. Now, may the 
God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I just quoted Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, and that's also included in my uh, Bible study. And St. Tom, and those of you who are listening, thank you again for honoring me. I'm humbled uh, at the privilege and the blessing you have given to me through this medium, and may it be used truly for the glory of God alone. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us. Uh, I know that uh, there's others that are taking of your time as well to visit, and we really appreciate that you've taken this time, and we'll be uh, posting it very shortly, and, and uh, hope that it's an opportunity for all of us as we continue to live the life of faith that is ours in Christ Jesus to understand that being Christocentric in how we look at the conflicts in the world around us, not just in the Middle East, but throughout the world and sin as it impacts us, that it's in Christ alone. Uh, it sounds like a good Lutheran statement to make. In Christ alone, that we are able to uh, understand and to accept and live out that life of faith that is ours in Christ Jesus. So thank you very much, Pastor Noor, for taking the time to be with us today. And the Lord's blessings as you continue to share the good news and message of Christ in the middle of all that we do and say, and uh, blessings on your ministry, not only in your congregation in South Dakota, but as our regional vice president, as you, uh, the church at large in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and it's a privilege to have you with us today. Thank you, dear brother. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, his peace, the real peace. God bless. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on our Living the Faith podcast this week. This podcast is a ministry of Zion Lutheran Church in Bismarck, North Dakota. To contact us, learn more, or for more resources on our journey this year, please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. This podcast was made possible by a grant from Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We thank them for their support. Please join me in prayer as we begin our new week. Blessed Lord, you have caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue learning how God's truth in the scriptures applies to our daily life. God bless your reading this week.